Moms Have Bad Days, Understanding Postpartum Mood Disorders, the companion podcast to the book by the same name by me, author and host, Erin Simpson. With me today is another Erin. This is Erin Kreitz, um, and she's going to talk to us about her experience with postpartum mood disorders and being a single mom. Um, something I feel like we don't hear a lot about. Um, so Erin, would you kindly introduce yourself to all of us? Sure. Good morning. Um, my name is Erin, uh, and I am a mom of a very rambunctious now five-year-old. Um, and I have been, I've been a single parent starting around four months postpartum right before my daughter's four month birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when in the first, in the first year where you count months. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I re like, yeah, I recently got engaged and just moved in. So I do have a partner now, but it's still very hard to adjust to having someone around. Um, because after spending, I mean, four and a half years mm-hmm. doing everything, um, it's a, it's a, it's a large mind shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and <clears throat> our focus will mainly be on, you know, your postpartum experience with all mm-hmm. this, but then also, I mean, I haven't thought about it much, but I imagine going from single parent to now you are parenting with uh, somebody who is not their bio dad yes, is like another minefield that I would not even begin to know how to navigate. <laughs> I know it's a very interesting one and uh, I'm slowly yeah I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. I've been in it for like a month and I'm like this is a whole new experience. Um, yeah so let's start at well first what do you do are you a teacher outside of um, you know, being a whole human. <laughs> so I used, to, I started, I have my bachelor's in special education. I taught oh, nice. for about, um, down in Florida. Thankfully, <laughs> Thankfully <laughs> I'm like, whoo, I got out of there in a lot of time. Um, I taught there until I dislocated my knee in 2012 oh. and on the job too. Oh, I, no. I just, <laughs> I fell on a brand new student, like practically almost felt it was right after winter break. Um, but currently I work in sales and, um, marketing. Okay. And do kind of administrative organizational work for a manufacturing company who, um, I'm in charge of the office products. So neat and orderly, like stuff, Excel spreadsheets, all this stuff that I, um, I enjoy. Nice. Um, and then in my free time, I'm actually going to school to um, be a counselor, to be a therapist, because oh, wow. I, I want to focus on perinatal mental health after nice. having gone through it myself. Um, it's been a it's been a winding path of I, I got pregnant and wanted to start the path of becoming a doula. And then the, the pandemic shut everything down. Yeah. So. That wasn't a very feasible path. Um, and I really realized in all of that, like the one thing that I, I felt I really wanted to do 
I couldn't do as a therapist or couldn't do as a doula because I didn't have therapist credentials. And I waited again, an aspect of being a single parent, like how do you navigate working full time, being a full time parent? And then also, Oh, surprise. Like, let's try to figure out grad school. Yeah. So for the longest time when my daughter was little, I did like the doula trainings. I took Lamaze childbirth trainings and I was like, I can do this. This is manageable. A weekend here, a weekend there. Um, but I, and I was able to do it because I lived at the time when we left, we left postpartum, we moved in with my parents for help because I needed to, I had spent all my money, like yeah. trying, I had paid for everything. We wound up having a hospital birth instead of a birth center birth. We had to pay extra because we'd already prepaid. And I was like really fighting that. Like, I don't have the money uh. to go to the hospital. Um, so when I left That's it four so months crazy. postpartum, I didn't have the ability to stay where we were and live in a, a to live in affordable, like housing uh-huh. that I felt safe as well as find childcare for a four month old. Yeah. Um, like you have to put like your liver on right. deposit two years in advance to get in like some of these bigger cities to get childcare. So we yeah. moved back home. And so as a doula, I could, I could navigate that with my parents being able to do that. But when we, when my daughter and I moved out on our own, there was no way I could continue that because I didn't have, you, you can't control birth. So right. yeah. I finally, I, I, my, my therapist liked to like discourage me, like how many more certifications are we going to collect uh. before we just like, remember what is your what is it you want to do and I was like I want to be a therapist she's like okay let's let's focus on getting into school versus like collecting another training so I'm in my I just I start on Monday with um my summer so it'll be my second quarter for um so yeah so being going through postpartum and then going through it as a mom, going through it as a single mom, and also going through it as a single mom, you know, as a mom in general who's had, like, a past with trauma, oh. really opened my eyes to, like, how, how much pregnancy and postpartum can really activate old wounds. Yes. And I was like, this, this, is, this is where I feel called. Um, so... So yeah, that's what I do now, or, you know, that's me now outside of being, <laughs> being a mom. Um, um, well, that's very awesome. So did, so did the want to be a therapist start um, after you were dealing with it yourself or had you thought about it previously? I thought about it, I think previously when I kind of have a, uh, so I was, I was, hold on one second. I'm going to cut this out and I'm going to go get these dogs. Hold on. (laughs) So you were saying, um, that the, um, your want to be a therapist, like you had, you'd thought about it previously. Oh yes. So yeah. So I was married at one point and, um, we started, we had a, it was, it was honestly right around the year that I turned 30 that I started like noticing that I wanted to do more. I still was working at the company that I work for now, um, in a different role. And I had decided to go to, to go to a program for, um, health coaching, which I thought was really awesome. 
And, but again, like in that, I realized like I want to do more than I can mm-hmm. with this, but that, that was my first introduction to it. And that was about a year and a half before I got pregnant and, oh no, sorry. That was actually, I started that about four months before I got pregnant because then, cause I had this whole idea of like, when I finish this program, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to mm-hmm. focus on this. I was running, I was marathon training and then I got pregnant and yeah. I was like, well, I'm not running. And it shifted and that's how, and at some point during that I had learned, like I began learning about doulas and I thought it was really cool. And I was like, well, maybe I'll shift to this. I'll do this route. Um, and then when, when I had my daughter and then I returned from maternity leave and it was, it was only about a month after I returned from maternity leave that we separated that I was like, well, this is going to have to go out the window. Um, and I, I kind of put pa- press pause on it. And then I was like, well, maybe I could do, maybe I could be a doula and I could do that like part-time, um, while still working. And like I said, it, it took until I, I started last fall and then had to switch schools. Um, and so I, I kind of waited and timed it so that I knew like, I'll, I'll finish when she's about entering like second grade. And I was like, okay, this is a pretty good time. Like she's in preschool. She's about to start kindergarten. So in terms of needing me, it gets Mm -hmm. less and less or it shifts. So it's not as much like we had a really hard time with sleeping through the night. And when you're a single parent, (laughs) there's nobody else to go handle things at night. Yeah, and uh, we're at the point now where I was like, okay, we can, I can manage this because nights is when I do schoolwork. Nights right. is when I have uh, that. Like, we're having to work now and find a study buddy. I was like, I am at after bedtime, seven o'clock, eight o'clock is usually when I start, and some nights, my daughter has night terrors. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes, I mean, it looks like me being in the bedroom with her, um, doing schoolwork, <laughs> especially if she's sick or something. So yeah. Um, all the different things like you don't think about like what most people don't really think about. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I have to, I have to analyze every angle of this, like of how I'm going to make sure I get work done. Uh Um, because if there's no one else around, if she's sick, you know, if I, you know, I also have a day job, I have to navigate those. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So let's rewind to, um, well, first, did you have any kind of anxiety or depression issues during your pregnancy? Did anything kind of creep up or did how, you know, was it a good pregnancy? I felt like it was a good pregnancy. Looking back in like a rearview mirror, I realized that there may have been some aspects. Um, I didn't realize that I, I wasn't diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder until I like until about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. um and when I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety I remember starting medication and thinking like oh wow this is you know this is great <laughs> I feel like a whole different person um there were some aspects of nervousness so there were some anxiety and I uh, and it could have been like normal anxiety maybe mm-hmm. or maybe it was parent like prenatal anxiety and I just didn't realize it because I was so used to being anxious right. I grew up in a household that and and now in like 
being outside of the house and looking in now and having friends that are like, that's not a normal way to like Mm -hmm. handle that situation. In my house, everything was overanalyzed. And I just, I thought that was the norm. I was also homeschooled for a very long time up until eighth, until I started ninth grade. Wow. Um, Like I went to grade, like kindergarten through second grade, but then third through eighth grade, I was homeschooled. So I was also very isolated. So again, I didn't know that what I was doing was not the norm. I thought everybody rewrote their notes several times (laughs) to get them perfectly neat in high school so they could study. Um, But during my pregnancy, so to back up even further, we had been struggling to get pregnant and I went off birth control and I kept thinking like something's off. So I went to the doctor, I had blood work done and they said that I had such low progesterone levels that I would not be able to carry without supplementation. Oh, wow. And that was back in Florida in about, I think it was 2016. So fast forward to May, June of 2017. Um, I knew where I was like, I, my, my husband then, and I were still living kind of separately. He was still living in Florida. I was already in North Carolina. Um, and we had seen each other for one weekend. So I knew like that was when I conceived and I went to the doctor and they were like, well, we, you, there's no way you're <sighs> only that far along. We wouldn't be able to see anything. I was like, I know how this happens. And there wasn't like a ghost. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I went in, I, I, I conceived so late in my, I should have been about to start my cycle. So by eight weeks, that missed period date, I was able to go in, but I knew I was only like five weeks along mm. and I was there because I was worried. I was like, I need you to test my progesterone. And this doctor, <laughs> so here in North Carolina at the time, this doctor told me that that is a myth. Uh, you don't, that's a myth. And I was like, you're not going to test my blood work. And where I was living, it's my hometown. And there were only two doctors there. And this one particular one took my insurance. And I knew that we were going to be moving. Anyways, that summer, we were supposed to be moving around August when my then husband was getting a job and moving up to North Carolina as well. So I was like, okay. So I basically put myself on bed rest. At the time, I didn't think it was super anxious, but in reflection, that was kind of anxiety inducing. So I just, I constantly was worried. I wouldn't do like a Doppler or anything. They couldn't find, I think when we went for the 12 week visit, they couldn't find her, her heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So they, I had to go back. They couldn't find it with a Doppler. So we had to go back and do like the transvaginal, mm-hmm. which nobody shows that on TV. And as someone who had dealt with <laughs> sexual trauma, that was super oh, alarming. Like we should probably talk about that one more. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until about 15 weeks that I got it. And then, oh, yeah. So it started. Let's just say it started because I wound up having nodules on my thyroid. My thyroid levels were off. Later on, our dog, when we I was about six months pregnant, our dog got leptospirosis. Oh. And nobody at the hospital seemed concerned about it. And I was like, no, my midwives are very concerned. Can you do a blood panel? Because I've been finger feeding my dog. Uh-huh. Um, and it can, it can cross the placenta. So, but somehow I felt like I was in a bubble, like in the moment I felt kind of protected, like I was in a bubble or, and just like, I can do this kind of thing. Um, not, not really depressed. I will tell you though, I planned for depression for postpartum depression. Oh. I actively, I had watched 
um, one of my best friends from college go through something that I realize now was a mixture of depression and anxiety. But so I remember like, all right, I'm going to read all the books so that I know what to do when this hits. And I didn't have a classic like postpartum depression. Um, Mine became anxiety. And so I have to joke, like I was not prepared for that. I had no idea even five years ago, like I had no idea what it was Mm -hmm. um, that existed. I just knew like, I'm not, I'm not sad really. And if I was sad or frustrated, um, I attributed it to the, the marriage, to Mm. what I was going through, um, with my then husband. And then I basically, it was just like a string of things. And I finally just said, I'm I'm out at four months. Like I'm out. I can't do this. Um, my parents helped me get out and we moved back to my parents' house. And then everything shifted from everything then shifted to me being concerned about handling custody. Oh, um, I was really worried that he was going to come after us because technically, I mean, it was his child and I had been assured by the police, like I had been assured someone had called me because I had called the cops like the night before I left. I told him he needed to leave. He didn't leave. He came back. Excuse me. He left, but he came back. And so I called the police um, and he left, but then the police showed up and they're like, oh yeah, he already called. And technically, like we already talked to him and technically he legally, he can be here. His name is on this lease. And I was like, cool, cool. Um, I'm going to be locked up in the bedroom and uh, you better hope he doesn't break in. Thanks. So because of that, I got a call from someone like for domestic violence and I had just left and they were like, they, they, ah, you know, asked what the situation and I was terrified. It was like, is he going to come after me? And can he come after me for leaving the area? Like, mm-hmm. I need to make sure my daughter's okay. Um, and they were like, no, trust me, we can. I was like, sure. You know uh-huh. what? But the cops also are supposed to help me, but they didn't do that uh-huh. much. They actually sided with him. Um, so for a good I think for that first year and fighting through the, with getting a lawyer and the separation and not knowing when he would show up was also very unsettling. Um, So I think what probably was early postpartum, I shifted my focus and I just thought this is anxiety because of the situation I'm going through. Uh Um, And it wasn't until like I, it, the, my postpartum anxiety truly hit right it was about a month before my daughter's second birthday her birthday's in march um and her second birthday was in 2020 so in february early february i started i was like okay we're reaching to we were still breastfeeding at night and i was like this is a good time to start weaning and i dropped like the middle of the night feed and i knew from my training as a doula that that's one of the highest times for oxytocin mm-hmm. and prolactin and everything. So when that went away, I, in my head, I was like, it must be because that's such the highest time. And like, I was getting that extra oxytocin push, but all of a sudden I was, uh, I kept dealing with really loud. Like I kept having racing thoughts. Uh huh. They weren't necessarily intrusive. Like I thought something was like, 
wrong, but I just, I, it, I would perseverate on it. Something would happen and I could not let it go. And I had not experienced that since pre-pregnancy. I can remember when I was in, we still lived in Florida and I was working in a different department. I could not sleep. I would, I would come home from work and I couldn't let go of little things that had happened during the day. Mm-hmm. And that was, and I, I started running and that seemed to help clear my head, but I couldn't at two years postpartum, like I wasn't ready to start doing that. I also uh-huh. didn't really, even though I was living with my parents, I didn't have the ability to get up at like five o'clock and go run. Yeah. Somebody still had to take care of her and it, like, I didn't have that kind of care. So I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, I don't, I don't know how to shut these voices off. I don't know how to drop the thoughts. I don't know how to leave them. And I mean, it could be something that happened at work. It could be something that my parents said. It could be something that the pediatrician said at this time too, we were navigating. Uh, we were in the midst. We were about two months in, I guess, at that point with at-home speech therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an added layer of like during, we didn't finalize the divorce until December, 2019 around September um, yeah, 2019, around September, 2019, she started preschool. Hold on. I'm trying to think. Yes. 19 would have put her. Yeah. She was at 18 months. So she hadn't started preschool yet. She was 18 months and we went to her pediatrician appointment and they were like, Oh, how many words did she say? And I proudly said two. And they were like, (laughs) what two words? And I was like, mama and egg because she ate egg every day for breakfast. Oh, And they were like, that seems like a weird thing like what about dad I was like well he's not here so <laughs> that's not a thing and they're like okay who do you live with and I'm like grandma and grandpa and I, they're like does she say it I'm like not clearly so I started explaining what she does and my daughter would talk with her mouth closed and go mm-mm, mm-mm. and it would be like different inflections mm-hmm. and we just knew what it was and they were like that's thing you might want to get checked on and in a passing phone call with um, her father, because he still carried insurance on her right around that time. He lost his job and was like, Oh, well, you're going to have to figure it out. And I was like, no, no, the parenting plan says you carry insurance. I work as a contract employee. I don't have benefits like that. You need to go get it. And I was like, if you can find something that offers speech like therapies, Uh, because we had been referred to our hospital and he was like, why does she, why do I need therapies? And I said, well, you know, I tried to explain it. He was like, she's fine. She's fine. You just need to let her watch TV more. Trust me. She's not like, this this will always kill me. She's not like, she doesn't need me in a classroom with like autistic kids. Like she's not like them, Erin. And I was like, cool. That's the kids I used to work with. Um, so what if she is, but also like, why you don't even yeah. see her, you don't know that this is not normal. And he tried to claim it because he had dated a speech pathologist at one point. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> and I, we thankfully found a program that we got a sliding scale because I had income and I was able to prove like I needed assistance and they would come into our house once a week. But that was another level. And I remember at night starting to think like I had done something wrong. Had I eaten something mm. wrong during pregnancy? Had I been so focused on the the divorce that I hadn't spent enough time with her? You know, and so all those like mom guilt things started mm-hmm. to come up. Um, am I not spending enough time with her now? You know, should I not be doing this? And I just for, I think it was a good two weeks 
I would get in bed at night and I just, they would not shut off. Mm. And I, after about two weeks, so, and for me, if I don't sleep well, my, oh, the, it gets worse. Yeah. So I was seen because I didn't have insurance. I was paying like a direct primary care. And I'd seen him a few times, especially because we were still monitoring my thyroid coming out of postpartum and everything. And I, he, he had said, like, he knew kind of my situation. He had said in passing one, one appointment, like, if you ever need anything, you can come here. Um, and I remember on a Monday, I think I took off of work. I went to the doctor's office sobbing. and oh. was just like... I need you. Like, I need an appointment. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's wrong, but please tell me he can see me today. Like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, okay, you can come back. I think at like one or two o'clock. I was like, thank you. Mm. So I remember I went to the Y because I was like, maybe I can, maybe this will help. Maybe getting a workout. Like my mom had her. I went, I think I came home and maybe like showered and then went back to the appointment and I just started crying. I told him everything was happening. I had, it coincided too. Like I started trying to see someone and then they suddenly ghosted me. So it was just mm. like a, the perfect storm. Yeah. And this doctor was like, okay, so I'm pretty sure like you're dealing with postpartum. Like it sounds like postpartum anxiety. Um, we'll give you some medicine. So I was like, I can't afford therapy because I don't have, again, I don't have insurance. And he was like, we'll give you some medicine. I was like, at this point, great. Just whatever you got. And so he gave me this script and then said, but you have to stop breastfeeding. Like you have to stop. You cannot nurse while taking this medication. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I just told you that I thought this was because I was dropping a feed, but yeah, cold turkey sounds like that'll totally go well. <laughs> and I just was like, uh-huh, all right. And I laughed. And because of my, because of being a doula, like I knew who the lactation consultant was. I knew in my training too, like that's who you call. If you need someone to help you with your medication, you call that or a pharmacist and breastfeeding. So I called her and I was like, I don't know what to do. This is what it is. Can I take this and breastfeed? Because at that point I was like, forget the medication. I'll just go back and breast my, feed my kid. Yeah. I will go back. It'll stop the thoughts. <laughs> Problem solved. We'll just try this again in a few months. And thankfully, the medication, she said, you're fine. You're fine. You can breastfeed. I don't know why he told you that. But she's like, also, he's he doesn't isn't trained in like lactation. She's like, but I can reassure you, you're fine at that dosage. Try it. Um, and I said, okay. <sighs> So I remember trying it and within like the, the first, maybe it, I, I can remember in the beginning, like it would take like an hour to kick in. And then all of a sudden, like, it was like radio silence. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I can think again. Cause it was so loud. Like it was just tons of voices. Um, what is the movie with Jen Carey where he winds up playing God? Um, oh. Bruce almighty. Yeah. Like, all the prayers come in. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And then all of a sudden it would shut off. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But for about a good two or three weeks, I was outside of that. Like I was just a level like numb, like nothing really made me sad, but nothing really made me happy either. And I just mm -hmm. felt very checked out, which concerned me as a mom. Yeah. Um, and I just, I kept, I kept taking it. And then eventually, I don't, I, I think 
just with time, I kind of regulated. Um, and I started noticing, like, I probably should get out more. <laughs> but the pandemic happened. So that was uh-huh. very limiting. <laughs> uh, and that really made me realize, like, we were kind of at coming at the end of the time with my parents. And we wound up, we started looking for apartments. We started having, I started having trouble with both parents. Um, because I started shifting the way I was planning on parenting because I was noticing, um, that there were things still going on with my daughter. When we, when the pandemic shut down, we suddenly couldn't have therapy anymore. So it was a consult basis. Mm -hmm. And I remember spending an hour on that Friday being like, yeah, I'll just get stuff. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Um, just telling her speech therapist, like something is off, something's off. I can see it there's a, there's a processing delay and she would stay with us on a consult basis. And she would text me, she'd email me, she'd call me, I'd send her videos of my daughter. And she became like the confidant of like, who, who would listen to me? Because I was like, I know I'm not crazy. There's something else going on. And at that point, nobody else was really listening. And she believed like, yes, there is a processing delay. And she was the reason that we were able to start getting additional services, get tested. And ultimately my daughter um, was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. And then later, um, earlier this year, she was diagnosed um, as what they now term as level one autistic or level two autism. And I was like, I've known this for like two years, (laughs) but we were, again, one of the things, and it was funny it was reinforced when we went to a pediatrician and I, they were reading over the documents and they were like, it sounds like you've been living in a really anxious setting (laughs) environment. And I was like (laughs) with my parents and I was like, yes. Like, I mean, my daughter could not get things dirty. She couldn't Mm -hmm. get dirty. You can't get dirty. She'll freak out. And I remember going in and we were trying to weed through and, and doctor's appointments. Was she super sensory? processing like super sensory and sensitive or was she just was this an influence from the environment that she was gay like she was learning so they would have her during the day while I worked um and then I would go at night and like take her outside and like have her play in puddles and have her play in the grass to like to kind of offset it and to test kind of test on my theory of like is this an anxiety thing Mm mm-hmm because they're so anxious about her being dirty and things being dirty, or is this truly like she hates grass? Yeah. And so we wound up not, di- we didn't give her like an autism. They didn't, they were like, we don't feel comfortable giving an autism diagnosis this early simply because it sounds like some of this might level out when you yeah. move out on your own. And so moving out on our own, in the beginning of 2021 <laughs> was a whole new experience because I didn't have anybody there to watch her. Um, which as a parent who works, like she was in, um, she had been starting, she started preschool the September of 2020. We started her in preschool. It was five days a week in the mornings, nine, like nine to 12. And she was still doing, she was doing that. And we were still doing like consult for speech. And then she would come home. My parents would take her in the afternoons and then I'd get her in the evenings all the way, you know, to the next morning. Um, but then moving out meant that like, I suddenly had to keep her occupied in the afternoons, which was really, really stressful. Um, when you're also dealing with your own like mental health. And I quickly realized that like loud noises were also aggravating, made me anxious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and so that was, that was an interesting transition, but I also learned in that experience, like, okay, I, w- I had always been so scared to become a single parent. I didn't want to do that. I really wanted to have the happy family. Um, but ultimately like I knew given what was happening, I was like, it, I don't, I had dealt with abuse with my ex-husband. I did not want her. She was the reason we left. Mm-hmm. Had it just been me, I would have, I, I would have just gone back and worked through it. But the me- immediately that I was like, I'm scared it's going to touch her. Like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I significantly had to shift how I was parenting because of her, her communication skills. We also, she would have big, lots of big feelings. And that year, 2020, being at home, her starting to try and find her voice and not really being able to, and then her, you know, turning to and suddenly having lots, you know, wanting to communicate and couldn't, she would get really aggravated. She'd cry. She'd get mm-hmm. mad. And I grew up in a household where you don't have feelings. Right. You get over it. You push them down. You're fine. You're okay. And that activated some anxiety as well. <laughs> And like yeah. my dad started to tell her like, you're fine. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is an unlocked core memory that I don't <laughs> like. I don't, I remember this now. Like I had suppressed it. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. And so that was the start of like, suddenly I was not okay with the way that they were doing things. I was going to shift the way I was parenting. And suddenly they were like, well, what's wrong with our parenting? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was so many, as you could probably tell, like there were so many layers to this whole experience. Yeah. So what, at any point after you guys moved out, were you finally able to get some therapy? So, yes. So I finally got into therapy August of 2020. It was, it was actually, um, so with the pandemic, the, with the, like the COVID relief funds, my company was like, Oh, ho, we can't claim her. Wait, 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 wait. Um, so I got shifted to being w- a W-2 employee again. They had originally, they, because I moved out of state, they were like, we don't really know if we can do this. It's not a state where we have, like, it was something on the business side. I was like, that's fine, whatever. Uh, so I ran it as, as if I was working, you know, for myself um, and had to take out my taxes. But yeah, so that summer in June or July, I finally was given benefits and so it took a little bit to find a therapist. I had been in therapy prior um, in the same area, but I had seen a man and I had seen him specifically for trauma, for EMDR therapy. Oh. And as a mom, I was like, I don't want to see, like, I don't want to see him. There was nothing necessarily wrong with him, but I was like, I want to take a different approach. And I think I want to see a, a woman. Uh huh. Um, I feel like someone like maybe that has been a mom might be able to get more of what I'm going through. And I started a week after I had this big like fight with my parents. And I remember feeling like I was going crazy. I was suddenly feeling like I had done something terribly wrong. And that because that was the way it was positioned to like, you can't be trusted. And I went to the first appointment and I just sat there and I was like, this is what's going on. <laughs> and she was like, okay. All right. Well, first of all, like, no, you're, you're, you're not crazy. Um, and we're going to be coming in weekly. (laughs) So I, that was a start of, um, I saw her up until we just recently moved. And so I saw her for like two and a half years of just every week. And it was for me, it was very validating because 
I, I felt like I had the, an extra helping of that. Oh my gosh, am I doing it enough? Am I doing enough? Am I being a good enough mom? Like that anxiety seemed to just dump on an extra helping of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was constantly, again, still like having thoughts at night, worrying, but it, the medication would help, but it wouldn't necessarily eliminate everything. And it just took the edge off. Yeah. And when you're living with people like my parents who were like mm-hmm. insistent that they were, they were good parents. We don't know why <laughs> you need to change things. It was, it, it, it fed that fear that I was doing something wrong that right. I had caught. Maybe I had caused this. Like I already had the baseline fear there. It just, it just put fuel in the fire. Mm-hmm. So, and then we, I stayed with her when we moved out because I knew, I knew I was going to have a difficult time. I knew, and we started to handling, like we started because of preschool, preschool comes with germs, daycare yeah. comes with germs. That was the first year with COVID. So we had um, a couple like shutdowns because somebody would, somebody's, you know, dad or family member would get COVID. So we'd be shut down for 10 days. Yeah. Being shut down for 10 days at home with a three-year-old who is super rambunctious. Like I like to call it like parkour around my house. <laughs> um, in a two-bedroom open floor plan apartment, I was, I was going nuts. <laughs> Right. So each week, so even I was like, please just do a virtual visit with me, please. Um, Cause we started out as doing in person because it was a time that I could go somewhere away and not have my child with me. Yeah. And I could just be out of the space and then be in a, a place where I could just like, Oh my gosh, I'd bring everything. Um, and at some point we decided like, let's test to where we, I think it was last summer we tested because I started worrying like maybe I have ADHD. And I, the, the doctor I was with said like, well, let's try some medications first. They were very insistent that the reason my anxiety had spiked was because of, um, like anxious thoughts, like, oh no, my attention, my lack of attention was because of anxious thoughts. I was like, no, my brain is just everywhere, like ping ponging. And I think a lot, of, and I was like, I just need to know if it's, if it's really like ADHD or something, or if it's single mom syndrome where you have to like, think of everything and you don't have anybody else to kind of, like, yeah. I would be sitting working on something and I was like, oh man, I got to like throw the clothes in the dryer. It's some of the, and I've seen more and more now, like I see them on social media where the video, like where the mom walks around the house and like starts doing something and forgets yeah. what she originally started. Like that was me in a nutshell. I need to do this. Oh, I found this. Let me put this away. And so I went through med changes and that was when my therapist was like, let's do some, some testing. Um, let's do some, you know, screeners, whatever scales. And one we did, we did a depression and we did anxiety. She was like, well, the depression one, I was like, that's like, she's like, yeah, you're really low on that. Like you clearly don't have that. But my anxiety even on medication, put me in like the high anxiety category, mm-hmm. even with meds. And we kept trying. I got taken off a of med. I got put on another medication and that one was not, was no way. Yeah. I called a pharmacist, the pharmacist on a Saturday because I'd finally gotten up to the right, like the full dose. And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm super on edge. My daughter's autistic. She's sensory seeking and loud. And I want to scream at every loud noise. This is not okay. Please help me. And when she heard what the medication was and what had happened, she was like, please stop taking that tomorrow morning. Go back to your other medication. Call the doctor on Monday. 
yeah. you're going to be okay. This was not a good med change. And so, but I went through it because this doctor was like, well, if you go through a few med changes and it still doesn't work, then I'll, then I'll refer you for uh-huh. an eval. And I was like, I came back and she's like, well, there's other medicines. I was like, nope, I did your game. Yeah. No, get me the evaluation. And between that initial kind of scaling screen with my therapist in June, and then I think it was August that I finally got in for the evaluation. And we had to talk about like, these are the things that are happening. Like in this scenario, what do you do now versus what do you, mm-hmm. what did you do as a child? And I, by like the third scenario, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, this is all very, like, it was very, you could tell, like, how do you, how did you handle assignments? And I was like, I was on time. Well, what would your parents do if you weren't on time? Uh, I would get grounded. Mm-hmm. And so it became this big thing of like, it sounds like, and that's what they came back in the report. Like, it sounds like this is very much, you're just now regulating to the fact that you don't have a parenting figure, like standing over you, making sure that you do everything. You have like almost developed this super heightened fear and this anxiety from, from like, it's very apparent. I was like, it's apparent. Yes. I, I realized that during evaluation, like this is not ADHD. She was like, no, you were just so scared that you would get in trouble or that you would let someone down that that's where it came from. Like, that's how this developed. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Yay. Yay. I'm not going to do this with my child. Like I will, it's hard. It's really hard to break that sort of cycle. Uh Uh-huh. As like, as a parent, having, having been brought up a different way, but I was like, I will not, when I started noticing, when my dad started telling her, like, you're fine, you're okay. And I realized like, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I did, could not identify an emotion in real time until I was early thirties. Yeah. I was so used to bottling it up, sucking it down putting a smile on my face and then I would volcano explode Uh weeks, months later to the point that I had no idea why I was mad. Yeah. But the littlest thing would just set me over the edge and I did it once or twice a year (laughs) depending. And it was just, it was horrible. And I was, I realized like, Oh, am I not supposed, again, like, am I not (laughs) supposed to do that? That's how it was in my house. You stuff it down. It became passive aggressive at my house. I had to caretake my mother. And then it shifted to my brother. When I went to high school, my poor brother had to deal with both of them and them being mad at each other. And they both confided in him. And I'm like, I look at him now. He's two years younger than me. I'm like, how are you fine? (laughs) Like, I'm the one in therapy. He came to visit last year and he was like, I said something about the anxiety medication. And he's like, well, that's good. Like, and I, and I was like, you do realize the whole family, the whole household, like what we grew up with was not super normal. He's like, oh, really? I don't really know. Like, that's, oh, okay. He just smoked. Like, he just, he lives in California. He's like, I just smoke. <laughs> like, yeah, not all of us can do that. I'm sure it would benefit us all. But that chill factor doesn't really set in that house. Um, but yeah, I just, I was like, uh, if, if my child can walk away with one thing, I don't, she already has anxiety. I see it. We deal with it multiple times a day. She's in therapy, play therapy. Mm -hmm. We started it last year. That was the one thing when we moved that we continued. 
um, because she receives speech and occupational therapy at school and she'll be in year round school. And I was like, you know what, let's, they told us like, she's been in these therapies for like two years. Let's take a break. Um, and so we put, we've got her in play therapy and it's for largely to help her with her social emotional regulation. But I, 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 at very young age, when she started talking, finally started talking around like two and a half, we had a language burst. I was like, she will be able to say no, mm-hmm. like, and tell people no. And she will be able to express how she feels. If, if she learns nothing else, I will be satisfied as a parent because I didn't have those skills as a kid. And so she will tell you now, like, she's very, she's, she's got a lot of those words. And I've noticed really, thankfully, they're starting to do it in schools. It's a big part of pre-K curriculum now of like talking about feelings and talking mm-hmm. about emotions. And when we started preschool in the fall, I came in, we, she has an IEP. I came into that meeting and I was like, here's a cheat sheet on my daughter. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe a kind of a, like anxious parent thing, but I was like, here's a cheat sheet on my daughter of things we learned last year. Um, here you go. And they were like, wow, this is really great. Like, thanks. And I just said two things. Like, she will tell you no. She will tell you when she doesn't want you to touch her. She's very, we are very body conscious. And she knows, like, if she says no, like, you better stop whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. And second, she will tell you how she feels. And if you ident- misidentify her emotion, she will correct you. <laughs> she, like, and they were just good. like, wow, like, we really like this. And I'm like, she's really good at this. I was like, it is something we have drilled in. She may not know other things. But like, I felt that this was a, you're here, she's here. You guys can take on the, you know, the, the letters and the numbers. Like, yeah. I feel confident you'll get this. This is what I'm going to focus on. Yeah. Because, and being able to identify why, like I'm feeling this way and why I'm feeling this way um, is another thing that I'm having to learn kind of alongside her. And it helps with my anxiety of like, oh, I'm feeling really anxious or overwhelmed because I've got a huge deadline and I, I don't feel prepared, you know, for her, it could be like, I'm feeling really anxious because, you know, Jake, before I came to talk to you, she's down there with my fiance. Like she's very anxious about the fact that her play area is not upset up the way she wants it to be. They're playing restaurants and I could, they were like moving. I need a table and I need this. And, um, her also displays of like, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? I needed to know exactly the agenda so that she can prepare herself mentally. Um, and so we're trying to support that and also kind of give her coping mechanisms. But like that, that anxiety piece, I mean, I was born in the late 80s. There was no anxiety. No. <laughs> Back then. <clears throat> um, and I think the first inclination that I might have it was shortly after I gave birth to her and I had, I read an article, a MOPS article that said, how to identify anxiety in your daughter came into my inbox. I read it. I sent it to my mom and she read it. And she was like, you check all of those boxes. And I was like, right. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that weird. She's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. It kind of makes sense now. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but this wasn't a thing in the nineties. I was like, no, I know you didn't go to like, you didn't, it wasn't a thing to go to a therapist. Um, it wasn't a thing to have anxiety. Nobody talked about it. So, so when, so it kind of like, I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe this is something that I'm dealing with. And yeah. then I was like, but I seem okay. Like, 
it's probably the breastfeeding. It's probably staving it off. And then like that happened. I was like, oh, just kidding. Pregnancy did not, you know, didn't heal that. <laughs> so, but now it just came back double time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like in the 90s, a lot of um, anxiety and depression issues in teens was just bad behavior. Yes. That's what That's what parents, that's what doctors, that's what therapist said you know um yes and so you're just made to feel like a bad kid which made all of those things worse yes I knew like don't talk don't talk in class don't talk back don't do anything my brother two years younger than me that went to kindergarten and was homeschooled the rest of his life oh and my, my brother would talk I just watched my brother like I didn't go through the typical things of like, I want to want to run away from home. Cause I just watched my brother and I was like, this is so dumb. Do you realize that if you just shut your mouth, like, you could stop getting your toys taken away. Then you wouldn't <laughs> want to run away. Like, come on. This uh-huh. is really, I mean, he got his mouth washed out. I think I said hell as a kindergartner once I was like, let's get the hell out of here. My mom was <laughs> like, what? And I learned my lesson. Like, Oh no, don't do that. I never wanted I never wanted my, anybody to be upset. So and as a result too, like it became like, I, I don't want to be bad. I don't want to upset you. Um, so I also people please a lot. Like yeah. I like whatever I can do to make you happy kind of thing. Please don't be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. So as you can imagine like going through a separation and divorce was really hard for me because I was like, yeah. it's probably my fault that you're doing all this horrible stuff to me anyways. <laughs> But don't do it to my daughter, please. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah. so and and thinking back to when I was teaching, I was like, I wonder how many of my kids probably also, I mean, I had elementary, like kindergarten through second grade, but I could still, I worked in special education. So I could see like, there were probably some kids that we did ABA therapy when I was, um, when I was in school, I, I helped with ABA therapy at home as like private tutors and looking back, I'm like, maybe that was just, they needed that. And I just took something that they needed away by trying to get them to like, just conform, just be okay. Like, like my daughter's thing is like, I need to know the schedule. If we took that away from her, she would be losing her mind just because for her, that helps center her. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much maybe other things like they need, but also like some things like food. She needs to know what to know with food. We've done a lot of like, we just were saying like, we need to recreate a snack chart because she'll get super anxious. I don't know. I don't know what I need. Oh, I don't know what I need to eat, but I'm hungry. And then we hit a hangry stage and she's like (laughs) me where I'm like, forget it. I don't want anything. I just, just no. Now I'm just angry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, but yeah, so like, it's given me a definitely a different perspective now of like, oh, this is probably why certain things I need things. And so when we were, when I was a kid and a teenager, like, no, you don't need that. You're fine. Push through. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was, uh, there's a comedian, Taylor Tomlinson uh-huh. that said like, she dealt with uh, mental health when she was a, a kid and a teen and she grew up similar to me, like in a very conservative, very um, Christian household. And she said her dad would recommend her like, she's like, I'm feeling really like depressed or whatever. And dad was like, go get a spoon of peanut butter. You just need some protein. And I identified so closely to that because my dad, uh, she's like so many men out there, middle-aged men are out there 
white knuckling a jar of Jif peanut butter. And I was like, that is what my dad, like, that wasn't his thing. Like right. he wouldn't tell us. Cause I wouldn't say, Hey, I'm feeling this way because my, you don't talk about feelings with my dad, but he, I was like, is that, I wonder if that's why it's always having peanut butter. Like I can just keep going. It's just gonna, it'll get rid of all the feelings. Yeah. So. Yep. Oh, hooray for family uh, trauma. That is you. You got all sorts of things when you become a parent yourself. Yes. Uh, and that, and that, and, and in, in my experience, like, I was just like, this is, we all have traumas to, yeah. uh, to some ask to, to some point, you know, it may not be the same type of trauma, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we may not. And I, for so many years I told myself and it didn't, didn't help that my ex-husband also told me this, like, well, I'm not beating you. Like, I'm not hitting you. So, like, I hit the wall. There's a hole in the wall. But, like, I didn't hit you. I'm not that bad. And so I kind of used that same thing of, like, well, I wasn't hit, like, as a child. Uh-huh. I was yelled at a lot. Like, a ton. We, it was, it, it, it was a lot. My dad yelled at my mom and my mom. So, like, in, as an adult now, I'm, like, in therapy of, like, oh, that's emotional abuse. Okay. Well, yeah, and like and it's verbal. Excusing, yeah, it's excusing bad behavior because it could be worse. Yes, it could. It I don't. I never. I hate when people do that. I don't understand how that makes sense in their head, but it no. does, and they use it. They as ugh. Yes, infuriating. And so I told myself for so many years, like, well, I didn't go through like abuse as a kid, so like my it's not really that bad. But like in in being in like an involunteering, um, in, in postpartum work and like diving more into like maternal mental health and realizing I now, um, co-facilitate uh, a birth trauma group. And one of the things we talk about in that group is like trauma is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Whatever you experience, if you experience as a trauma, if it's traumatic for you, it's valid. It's trauma. Yeah not everybody's going to, to experience things the same way. And when they don't, they can be super, again, like, well, you didn't have it that bad. Like really it wasn't that bad, but it's still, and that's invalidating. So that's a whole nother level. Yes. And like then if, if that person's involved in it, like then it's gaslighting and it's yeah. just for so many years, I just was like, Oh, this is no, but it, so in, in looking back, like, oh, there were so many markers that I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Like when you get into pregnancy and then when you become a mom and you become a parent in general, it will bring back up memories from childhood. It will bring back up wounds. Yeah. And so if we can, like in my mind, I'm like, if we can, I, again, I so many times in mental health and in healthcare in general, we're like, if you could just go into the preventative stage we yes. can get the people in the river, okay? We can rescue the people from the river, but like maybe we should go upstream where they're jumping in, right? Maybe we should do something up there, and like everybody talks about it, but then nobody ever wants to put the the money in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same thing, like if I could get ahead, like if we could get ahead, yes, I want to focus on like maternal mental health and perinatal and postpartum, but like what if we got ahead of it? What if we got to these? people like predominantly like women before they hit that stage because before they become the point of like I'm trying to have a child because as someone who has had to try to work through trauma and like parenting and everything 
while being a parent in general, but also while being a senior, it is hard because you can't yeah. like pass your kid off to someone yeah. when you're having a bad day. You can't, you know, Hey, I can't, I need sleep. Can you do night duty? Mm-hmm. There's, there's no clock out. Yeah. At, at all. Sleep training was all, like, we didn't sleep train and we are still, we co-slept. We moved in with my parents. We co-slept anyways, because again, an unnoticed like anxiety of like, I would just stare at her and her oh, crib next yeah. to my bed. And I was like, I'm so nervous that you're, I was so scared of skid, SIDS. Yeah. And I was like, she's going to, something's going to happen. We got one of those. I paid so much money for this monitor that went under her mattress. Uh huh. And then I would forget that when she, well, I needed to take her to change her diaper, that it would go off because uh-huh. there was no longer monitoring, like there was no breathing going on. Um, so I quickly stopped using that. And I was like, I remember going in and talking to the lactation consultant and she was like, this is how you safely sleep. You can co-sleep while with breastfeeding. And these are the ways to make it safe. And then you transition to this. And so as she got older and we moved to my parents' house, we didn't have space for two beds mm-hmm. or crib. And so she just stayed with me. And then I can remember trying to be like, okay, like I really want to get her to sleep on her own. But that was nearly impossible because, again, we only had one bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to all my friends. They're like, oh, yeah, we just use the partner. Like dad comes in and does bedtime. And I was like, cool. Uh, what do you do if you don't have that person? Mm-hmm. Like, we did, so again, like those things of like other people are like, oh yeah, no, we just use that. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have anybody to do that with. And so I guess we'll just keep doing this as yeah. it is. And we, we worked on it. Um, but then that like it, it, she wound up having regressions in it. She has sleep terrors. And so that, that happens. She has really lucid dreams. And so, that's that's a, that's a struggle if you're sick oh my gosh if you're sick as a mom anyways if we're sick it's like oh i still have to take care of the kids but I, as a as a single parent <laughs> oh, there's nobody else i had covid and i was like you were gonna be on your own kid um oh. i was still seeing at the time um it was my fiance but we were we were dating at the time and he would send us tropical smoothie deliveries like two or three times today because she would drink it. It helped me. I stayed in the room. She learned how to navigate the TV and Disney plus that the particular belt of time, because I was like, you are just gonna have to figure this out. I don't know what to do and I don't want you to get sick. So I'm going to need you to keep your distance. Oh, that's so hard. So what would you say for, to other single moms who are either just starting out on this path or like, um, uh, and I I don't mean just starting out on this path, but like just single moms in general, maybe that didn't start with a partner or to women who are in a relationship that are like, I don't think this is helping certainly. And they're Mm -hmm. hesitating on, you know, finding a way out. Mm. I relied heavily on trying to like, like I had parents and not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had, and and when I moved out of my parents' house, like I had a village in terms of like my friends. Oh, nice. 
um, I learned from the lesson. I did not have super close friends when I left my ex-husband. I had some, but I lost, like I left him in 2016 and I lost some when I went back to him. Mm-hmm. I got like, we tried to work through things. Then I got pregnant and I lost more friends because like, why would you get pregnant with him? Right. Do you not remember what he put you through kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as someone who's abused, or like was, was abused. I learned to cherry pick of who I told different parts of stories. If you got all those people in a room, they'd be able to piece it together. But I knew right. not everybody was going to get together in a room. So I was like, nobody's going to talk to each other. And I'm not going to realize how bad this is. Yeah. Um, and when I even did it, when I, in my early postpartum and the abuse started again, I started trying mm-hmm. to telling people little bits of things. And my mom ended up coming to visit for one week in June because I got sick. I got sick. My daughter got sick and he was just like, meh, checked out. And so she came and stayed with us and she started to see what was happening. And she left and she was like, if you need anything, let me know. And that night was when I called the cops and I was like, I'm going to need you to come back. Mm. Um, but when like you need that village, like you need, like even if it's one or two people that you know you can go to, that will continue like know that will reassure you that it's you're doing the right thing Mm -hmm. um because it's really hard their their voices are often much louder he was very loud you're ruining the family why would you do this you know you're you're making you're gonna make her life horrible because she's not gonna have a dad um and I got called so many things and I just, I remember just leaning on like my parents and I had one or two friends that eventually knew everything that was happening and was like, okay, no, you're absolutely, but even then, like they knew, like you're doing the right thing. Keep Mm -hmm. going. Um, I looked for like, tried to find a place. Like originally I was going to move back to my whole town and find my own place. And they were like, why don't you stay with us? We can, you can save up money so you can eventually buy a house. Like that will help us. But even just looking for like, okay, where can I go where I'm close to someone that again, if I need help in a dire emergency, that I'm not completely alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was, you'll need it at some point. You're going to need like some sort of backup and, and learning like, and knowing that it's and giving yourself permission to ask for that help. Yeah. Is so huge. I hate asking for help (laughs) but I had to like have some humility of like I do need help I can't do all of this and it's okay I am I went through a training for circle of security parenting and they told us like if you're like focused on your child like 30% of the time you are doing good enough Mm-hmm. and knowing that like and I've applied and they're like if we just if we applied that to like all aspects well not maybe all aspects if you do 30 mm-hmm. percent of work maybe that not but like when it comes to like being that parent and like I knowing that we're not going to be able it's not the world is not set up right now <laughs> society is not set up that we can just do everything and always be everything for our kids yeah but being present for like that 30 percent of the time of you know listening to them doing whatever you can with them and being fully present has that's helped me a lot because otherwise I constantly, if I focus on the other 70%, I'm like, gosh, like I wanted to homeschool my child. I wanted to keep her home. I wanted to be the stay at home mom. And I was like, well, this is out window. And so I had to grapple with that. 
for a while, like, but it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. If like, you can find someone we found, we found a church that was really cheap to put her in daycare when it was finally time. And I was like, okay, this is what she needs. And this is what I need. I need a break. Yeah. She needs someone else. And this, it, it worked out. But again, like me being able to say, I need help. I hope that answered. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. Um, well, in, what else? Is there anything else that you want to add? I feel like we've talked about a lot. Does your, I know. is your fiance aware of kind of the uh, mental health journey that you've been on and, and yes. how, does, how does he handle things? Um, it is, it's been, so he's a, he's a therapist. Uh, um, so that helps. Although sometimes I would have to be like, please don't hit therapist, yeah. ha- therapist hat off right now. Um, but we've been navigating, it's been, we've always handled, cause we've always lived apart until about a month ago. Oh, um, nice. so we, and we lived in different States too. So we, this is our first time being in a long-term, like in one space together. And it has brought up a lot of traumatic, like memories for me, uh-huh. not even just, just because and my, my therapist and I talked about this before we, we moved, like, this is going to be something like, it's going to be, things are going to be triggered because this is the first relationship you're having after that abusive mm-hmm. one. Um, so she's like, it's going to be triggered. And like, unfortunately, there's no way to like practice this until you're in it. Yeah. And I'm able to, to notice it. I'm still not fully to the point where I can know in the moment why I'm upset or why something's bothering me. I just can feel it in my body. Like something I'm tensed up or I feel I will check out. I'll, I'll disassociate. And there'll be times where he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just fighting to stay in the room just fighting to mentally stay here because something something happened we, we had to get rid of the color sheets because i was like nope nope uh-uh. no, this reminds me of the x no you uh-huh. gotta get rid of like red sheets i don't know why just burn them kind yeah. of thing um so and then having a, a, a daughter who also has he he has depression himself and then my daughter and I have anxiety. So it's an interesting like ebb and flow of like, all right, we're learning how to, you know, handle his cycles when mm-hmm. he gets down and like, we have to handle my cycles when I'm super busy and I get overwhelmed. Like, can I help? Um, and right now it's been like just giving space and knowing that like, I will come to him when I finally have processed through it. It'll take a few days usually. And then I'll be able to like, oh, this is why, this is what's coming up. This is what the memory is. This is, you're not necessarily doing it, but it reminds me of this particular thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to calm my nervous system Mm -hmm. as a lot of it. And I started with a new therapist who's um, focuses more on somatic therapy uh, because we figured that would be a good match for me because I've done a lot of talk therapy, but right now I think I need a more somatic because I've gotten to the point where now like I'm feeling a lot more of the, the traumatic memories or, you know, those things coming up. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes I, uh, oftentimes another thing, another key thing, and this, this, I feel like every relationship should know is like as a partner, 
Like when you go into conversation or somebody, you know, your partner sharing with you, like sitting there and okay, do you want me to listen? Yeah. Do you want me to like problem solve this? Do you want me to like reach the pitchfork and like we rant together kind of thing? Like, how can I support you? Because his default is help. Mm -hmm. I am going to fix it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just need to rant right now. You know, or I just need to like cry about this. Um, And it's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard for him to shift out of that mindset. And I do that too sometimes. It's like, I just want to make it better. Uh I don't want you to be sad. How can I make it better? And I noticed that that's a people-pleasing part of me. Um, That's a people-pleasing thing that comes up. And I... It, it's I so I, I have to pause and say like there was the other night he was really upset and just couldn't really he was just like I think I'm tired I've had a long day and I was like I honestly don't know what to do right now <sighs> what instead of me cycling through I was like what do you want what do you want like what do you need right now and he was like I think I just need to sleep and I was like okay I think go sleep my first default was like <laughs> we need to sit down and talk about this. Right. <laughs> it was just like, no, I just need to go to sleep. I was like, okay, cool. All right. That's, that's what you need. Um, and having, I think knowing that had I had him like present when I was really going through like postpartum in the beginning with the anxiety, I think, and even now when I get anxious about things, like I just needed someone to listen because mm-hmm. like, many times like we just need someone to listen and to validate like wow that sounds really hard yeah and the sense of like oh wow that does sound really scary because for anxiety like my thing was like anything I was gonna fall down the stairs holding my uh-huh. baby I was gonna crack her head open like that was like, those, too. those super scary thoughts that I was like I am the only person having this how yeah. dare I have this but I literally in that in that first four months postpartum we had a townhouse a two-story townhouse and I had two cribs I had a crib upstairs, well, I had a crib upstairs and I had a packet plate. I had full setups on both levels of the house, super extreme because I didn't want to walk up and down the stairs when nobody yeah. was there. Cause I was so scared. I was, we also had the dog that was still getting over leptospirosis. And I was like, I'm going to trip and I'm going to fall. So I will just live on one level of the house for the whole day. And it was usually the bottom because I needed food. Right. <laughs> I was hungry. Uh, but, and I, I, like just being able to listen or just knowing like, you know, maybe they just, they don't want, they don't want it. Like I didn't want to be cooked for. I wanted to be able to get up and cook. I needed you to hold a baby uh-huh. so that I could go cook because that helped get me out of my, my brain. Yeah. Um, like all just little things of just really like, and it, it takes like really asking, Hey, can we think of things that you'll need or want? And it's so hard. Again, that preventative piece, when I have doula clients, I'm constantly, all right, let's think about postpartum. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm like, that's great. Let's still plan a little bit so that we can see like, who's your village? Who when I have the worksheet of like, who are you going to call? And it has a picture of Ghostbusters on there. Huh. Like, who do you call for this? Who's within your circle? Um, especially during the pandemic, like who could you outsource things to, mm-hmm. especially if it was just, you know, the two of you at the house with this brand new baby, who could you, and, and knowing like, it's okay if this doesn't get done again, that good enough, like you may not get to laundry every single day. Yeah. You may not necessarily get a shower every day, but you, when you do like you get it, you know, or, or you prioritize that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So right now, yeah, a lot of like listening. What are you listening to what I what I say I need or noticing things that I might need? It's really big. Okay. Well, um it's so much more than you bargained for with this. No, I mean it's just it makes me think about um honestly this whole conversation has made me think about my mom because she was a single parent um left in an unhealthy marriage um but had family support kind of threw herself into work um yeah, that sounds and, familiar but me. never never took the time um to pursue the therapy like the way that you have like <clears throat> and so I mean I just think that it's amazing that you've done that and that other moms are doing that um yeah. because hopefully then in like you know 30 years they're not talking on a podcast about how childhood trauma snuck up on them when they had a baby like yes. because they'll have addressed it yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that is the old. Yes, that's the, ultimately like that's what I, I, I've shifted that perspective again. Like the worry, the mom guilt, and the worry. Like, what is this? I have there's a there's a several of us. Um, my little friend group were like, gosh, that's probably going to be a core memory. That's going <laughs> to be like they're going to be in therapy for that. But in in talking about it, we all have therapists of our own, and all of us have. But, but at one time or another, our therapists have been like you are breaking a cycle. Mm -hmm. This is hard. You know how it's just, it's just, unless you had something, I feel like really overly, like very traumatic, like it, you know, it was not right. okay. And you got out of it. It's hard to break those cycles because they're so ingrained. And even if you do get out of it, it's so easy. Cause that's the default. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that somewhere like, yeah, like it is, it's going to be your default nature to go back to what you already learned, what you saw, what was done to you. Um, and it's really hard to stay conscious to like, nope, I don't want to do this. No, I want to do this different. And it's not like a thing like our parents didn't know or like our parents did that on purpose. Right. I know okay. my parents did. My mom has her own set of trauma. My dad yeah. has his own set of trauma. They did. And they're still doing the best that they can do with the tools that like they, that they have and that they're also willing to use. I think mm -hmm. our generation and like our future generations are showing that we're more granted. The world is much more connected now than yeah. back when my parents had me in the eighties. Um, and even the nineties, like we're showing like our generation and, and subsequent generations are like, we're more open to trying different things, like, and, mm -hmm. and more so connected that we can see like, Oh, what's happening to me is not normal. Like right. I didn't realize it until I got to college and got into relationships and got like started making friends and realizing like, Oh, oh you didn't have the same thing as a child. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Kids nowadays can feel, I feel like teenagers and even like my, like elementary school age can figure out like, oh, that's different. This is different. Hmm. And they're more willing to open, like, like I mentioned with my daughter's preschool, like they're, they're talking about emotions. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, thank you. My daughter apparently this week when they did, they did a think pair share 
my daughter openly decided to tell everybody like, yeah, I'm going to see my therapist today. And this is what we do with my therapist. And the, the teacher was like, are we okay with her saying that? I was like, she basically lives with like two therapists. She's (laughs) there. Do we want to stigmatize this? Don't make this a bad thing. Yeah. This is very normal. This is super normal for her and it's okay. She, she enjoys it. She doesn't realize like, she's not sitting there having her brain like analyzed. They play. Then they ran, you know, they work through scenarios and she was like, well, she's just like, that's fine. I agree. And also I recognize in the day of teaching right now, like anything could possibly upset another parent. Right. So, but she's like, I just felt bad because nobody could talk to her about it because nobody knew. She's like, the kids don't know what a therapist is. So nobody could talk to her. (sighs) And she's like, I felt so bad. And I was like, oh, have you seen my child? She doesn't care if you talk back to her. Like, she just wants to tell you things. Yeah. And I was like, just please let her be open. I don't care. Let her be open about it. Yeah. The, the better it is at some point, maybe some kid does go home and then talk about it and maybe, yeah. like, Oh, Hey, all right. Or maybe there's another kid that's in therapy that the, you know, goes home and is like, Oh, I, there's another kid. Hey, cool. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, cause yeah, ultimately like I, that's what I hope. Like I hope when my daughter decides to have kids, which right now she says she's having a baby at 15. And I was like, okay, it's better than the five that she originally went with. She was gonna have a baby this year. Ooh. Uh, cause I was like, I can't have like my fiance and I can't have babies. Um, that's just kind of how we told it to her. I also really didn't want to have another one mm-hmm. after I went through what I went through. I wanted kids close together and then I divorced and I was a single parent. And also with my daughter's diagnosis and just grad school, I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. You're going to have to get like, we're going to have close friends. um your cousins here and nearby you you make friends and so she's (laughs) she was like well I'll have a baby then I was like not quite how that works right now (laughs) um but I hope that when she does have a baby that she you know and and that she'll have less than what I have I I I, at some point I know she's probably going to need to work through her own things and they will come back to like mom did her best having the tools that she had Mm -hmm. and it'll lessen with each generation because we'll be more aware and more willing to, to say like, Hey, I screwed up. Yeah. And it's okay because we're human and everybody screws up. Yes. It doesn't have to be. Oh, that's another thing. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be perfect. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) One of our uh, favorite shows is Bluey. Yeah. And the Bluey episode, the episode where Bluey's trying to make the Father's Day picture, the Father's uh-huh. Day gift, it has to be perfect. I and know. my daughter reenacts shows very easily. And mm-hmm. this is one that she, uh, that's how she uses social skills is she just reenacts things. And you, if you don't know what it is, she walks away from, she gets annoyed and then she walks <laughs> away. Like, how do you not know what the other character does here? Get with it. And we're constantly like with random people, they're like, what is she doing? I'm like, a bluey episode that's she's reenacting bluey but that one we often refer to and in the beginning like that was such a good episode because i can say like hey remember that did it have to be perfect no it didn't have to be perfect and so now we're we're expanding on that like it doesn't have to be perfect and we we as adults and parents have to take that into consideration too Mm -hmm. like it does, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. I think every time that I'm co-facilitating my, the birth trauma group, I always leave that group. We do a thing of like, take what you need and leave what you don't. Yeah. And I think 
every time, every other week when I lead it, I'm always like, I leave, I'm leaving here that I don't need to, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and it's just a nice reinforcement. I will, I'm learning, I'm growing, but I can't, I struggle with it too. Like, but it has to be perfect. I'm like, no, it doesn't. We're doing our best. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for doing the work. Um, I applaud you and I appreciate you. And um, yeah, good luck with the fiance, the grad school, the <laughs> everything. Yes. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for bringing like for for talking about this. And especially yeah, talking about like and bringing again, like so many times I talk about like the more that we can bring awareness to like postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, like, you know, maternal mental health in general, the better it is because somebody's going to hear it and realize, oh, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. I thought yep. it was me. Like constantly, I was just like, I always thought it was just me. And then you hear someone say like, oh, yeah, I had this fear. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I did too. Like, yeah. where were you like two years ago when I knew I this kind of thing? And so I'm like, oh, if we just talk about it, if we can just talk about it, the more I share, anytime I share like a part of my story, somebody, it, it reaches somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought it was just me. Yeah. I didn't realize that somebody else was dealing with this. Um, especially when it comes from a standpoint of like the abuse that I went through because I was so isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have, it was, I was made to believe like this was normal and I was weird for not going along with things like this is how couples treat each other. <sighs> and so I didn't, I was so ashamed to try to talk to anybody. And then like now if I share about it, somebody's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm dealing with this same thing. Is this not normal? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> so this, you know, same goes for mental health. Yeah, like, absolutely. We can talk about it. So thank you for highlighting this because gosh, we as moms need it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yes. The, nobody else is looking out for us. So we got to look out for each other. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. And um, I hope you have a great weekend and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Great. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Good Moms Have Bad Days. As a reminder, if you or anyone you love or just know is having a tough time postpartum, um, the Postpartum Support International Hotline is 1-833-943-5746. It is staffed 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You can call or text that number. And you can also text the PSI warm line, which is run by volunteers that can help you get resources, um, find a therapist, find support groups. That number is 1-800-944-4773. Again, that one you can also call or text. Um, And if you have questions, episode ideas, news that you've read about postpartum issues or just issues concerning parents, um, feel free to drop me an email, goodmomshavebaddays at gmail.com. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at goodmomshavebaddays. 
and um, just take care of yourselves, take care of each other, stay well, and um, until next time, have a great week. Bye.